Joseph was a hard worker. <clears throat> you know Joseph, don't you? Uh, he, was, he was a hard worker. Uh, he'd get up in the mornings and um, grab a quick bite to eat and get dressed and then uh, go out to his work. And as a carpenter in his day, that meant he had to form and fashion a variety of materials. Uh, wood and stone alike were struck and shaped by his axe and by his chisel. Uh, work was for Joseph, as it was for many of us. There were times when he found deep meaning and purpose in his work, but there were also times of drudgery, uh, long hours, tasks performed so often and with such routine that they became mindless and indeed allowed his mind to, to wander a bit. And on this particular morning, as Joseph methodically swung his hammer, his furrowed brow revealed an expression marked by intensity, and his eyes had a far-off look, uh, a mixture of both bewilderment and resolve. Uh, let me tell you why, or rather, uh, let, let's listen to Matthew as he tells us why. It's Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I invite you to listen carefully and listen well. For this too is the word of the Lord. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. All this was to fulfill what God had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Joseph woke from sleep. He did all that the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, and he knew her not until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks, God. God. Thanks be to God. Uh, for the last few weeks, as Lindsay noted, we've been spending some time with John the Baptist. I bet you're all glad to know that we're moving on from John this week. <laughs> uh, he's sort of a rough character. Uh, but now we're coming to Joseph. Joseph, who also prepares us to receive Christ when he comes. Joseph does this in a way not unlike John the Baptist, but also in a way uniquely his own. Joseph, this carpenter who was chosen by the master carpenter to have his home shaped and formed and built into such a place where God's own son would come to dwell and to also call Joseph by that name. The text introduces us to Joseph by letting us know that he was a just man. A just man. Another word for that is righteous. He was a righteous man. That is not something that happens overnight or at the snap of a finger. Joseph was a just man. If we're looking 
for what this might look like in the rest of Scripture, there are plenty of examples, but one of the most well-known is that one uh, given to us in the first psalm. Joseph is like the righteous man who does not walk in the way of the wicked or make his place with the sinners or sit with the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Joseph is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and all that he does, he prospers. His roots have grown deep, shaped by the word of God, the law of God. He delights in that law day and night. Joseph is a just man. To delight in the law of the Lord is, is um, we might hear that and immediately think of the Ten Commandments, laws, rules, outward things imposed upon us to constrain us in some way. But the law of the Lord is actually, in a technical sense, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. The story of God's work in the world, the story of God's people, the story of Joseph's ancestors, the story of those who have come before him in the faith, the story of God's creation and then redemption and covenant promises to his people that, yes, does include the giving of the law and so on, but it's not exclusively tied to that. It's wider, it's broader, and Joseph's life has been deeply rooted in this story such that he can be described in that really high way of being a just man. In fact, I think it's this history of being rooted in God's story and in God's way that allows him to respond to a moment of disappointment, difficulty, and challenge in his own life in a way that is merciful. I tried to give you a picture of Joseph with that intense expression on his face, the far-off look that speaks to us of, be of bewilderment, but also resolve, imagining what it must have been like for him to hear that Mary, the one to whom he was betrothed, had entered into this formal arrangement of marriage and yet had not come together in the fullness of that marriage. It was like a, a more official engagement, you might say. Um, he had entered into this betrothal uh, with Mary, but then he learns that Mary is, is pregnant. And he does not know Luke chapter 1 like we do, <laughs> knowing that it comes to, uh, to Mary by way of the Holy Spirit, that this child within her is actually the Son of God, fully God, fully human, at the same time within Mary. He does not know any of this yet. He just knows that his dreams are slipping through his fingers. Uh, tradition tells us that, that Joseph is an older man, that he's actually a widower, and that he is likely familiar then with loneliness at times. You can imagine him dreaming of that time when his house would not be empty anymore. When someone would be there with him during the day. When he would have companionship and a helpmate and a friend. Where he also could provide for one and care for one and serve Mary. But suddenly this dream is gone. He's disappointed, wouldn't you think? wonder if you've ever been disappointed in your life, had a dream that slipped through your fingers, had an idea, had a, had a mental picture of what you were expecting to happen that then didn't work out. Maybe you were really excited about a job. 
you thought, man, this, this is the place for me to be. And you could see some ways in which you could maybe climb the ladder or um, grow and expand your work into whatever the work of this company is. And then unexpectedly, you found yourself called to the manager's office and learned that the company was downsizing, making some cuts, and you were one of the cuts. Cut in job, cut in salary, cut in income, cut in your pride. Um, you know, disappointed. Maybe uh, you remember um, the, the very beginnings of uh, the possibility maybe of a of relationship. You're excited about that, hopeful for that, looking forward to what that might grow into becoming and to being. And then unexpectedly, again, you found yourself sitting at a cafe over a cup of coffee hearing those words, um, I don't think this is going to work out. Disappointed. You ever been disappointed? I think that when we're disappointed, our response to that disappointment can often reveal the things that we are depending on to shape who we are. It might show us where our roots, into what our roots have grown deep. Uh, you know, in Advent, we've been talking, you know, about that prophetic word that comes in Isaiah that one day swords and spears will be beaten into plowshares and pruning hooks. These instruments of death will actually become instruments of cultivation and of life. Those instruments of war become instruments of peace. And so when you were cut to the soul, when your heart was pierced, when you were disappointed, I wonder if you turned immediately to those familiar weapons and your hand gripped a little tighter on the hilt of that sword and you swung back eager to return wound for wound. I wonder if in those moments of disappointment, you grabbed the spear and readily hurled it back towards the one from whom hurt had come. Joseph didn't do those things, interestingly, because his roots were sunk deep into something else, something deeper, something something that held him and identified him that went beyond a job or went beyond a relationship, but went all the way down into the core of his being. He delighted in the law of the Lord. He was a just man. And so when he was disappointed, when he was swinging away, chiseling away, coming to grips with the disappointment of the dream that had slipped through his hands, he allowed himself to extend the same kind of mercy and grace that he had received from God. He knew the story into which his small story and small disappointments fit. And so Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put Mary to shame, resolved to separate himself from her quietly. Joseph knew the law. He knew the outward appearance of the law, Two options were open to him. He could shame her publicly, returning wound for wound. Or there was also this other option, this quiet and gentle and forgiving separation. He had gone beyond the outward keeping of the law and it actually become something that informed his inner being. And of course, how did he respond? 
with gentleness and with quietness and with mercy and grace. Now, that could be a great story right there, right? There it was. Here's someone who had been disappointed. His dreams had slipped through his fingers. But then he responded in a good way, in a merciful and gentle way. And we can, of course, look back at our whole lives and see the ways in which we've picked up the sword or the spear instead of responding with gentleness and love and compassion and so on, perpetuating a world of hurt rather than bringing it to an end so that something new could live. But that would really just be a moral exhortation, right? You can try to do a little better next time. And actually, that's not a sermon because there's no place for Jesus in that necessarily. Uh, Joseph, yes, is a great example for us. But what he really does is prepares the way for us to see Jesus. And so, the story doesn't end there, actually. That wasn't the end of it. As Joseph watched the dream slip through his own fingers and did respond in a really beautiful and humble way and grace-filled way, guess what happened? When Joseph thought his dreams were gone, guess who showed up? God's dream showed up for him. God's dreams were becoming a reality, not only in his own life, but in the whole world for everyone. And it was happening concretely through Joseph's life. And he was, because he was a just man, had been formed in his character, particularly ready to enter in and receive that and live out of it. He was ready for the dream. The dream that came from heaven. Joseph went to sleep, probably after a difficult time of drifting off to sleep. He goes to sleep, and while he sleeps, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says to him, Joseph, son of David, which is a hefty title there, isn't it? Joseph, yes, poor carpenter, but also royal son. Son of David, the one to whom God, you know this story, the one to whom God made this promise that one day one of your descendants would enter into the world and sit upon David's throne forever, for eternity. Joseph, son of David, it's a loaded greeting. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God's dreams entering the world. And you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, which means which means Yahweh saves, Yeshua, Yahweh saves, because He will save His people from their sins. Joseph prepares us for Jesus. So let's look at Jesus for a moment and what the angel has to say about Him. In fact, the way that Jesus is described here foreshadows so much of the conflict that is going to surround Jesus throughout His life and eventually lead Him to the cross where He's put to death. All this was to fulfill what, the, what God has spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph, upon hearing this, a man delighting in the law of the Lord, deeply rooted in God's word, knew very quickly after his shock dissipated that this was the Messiah who was coming. God with us. Emmanuel is the one who is on the way. He knew that. He recognized that that God was coming to be with His people, and this was going to change everything. But then there was a slight difference, wasn't there? 
Yes, people are going to call Jesus Emmanuel. We still do. He was in Emmanuel in all the prayers we prayed. God with us, yes. But the name he was given was Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This reality of the Messiah who comes to Israel, who comes to sit upon David's throne to rule and to reign in a way that's slightly different than people expect, whose chief priority appears to be embedded in his own name and the name that God chooses for himself on earth, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. His priority is not what the priority of the world set forth. You know, he'll come and sit upon the throne. He'll drive Rome out. He'll be a this-worldly kind of power. It will be a, 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 a material kind of thing. The way that who Jesus was and the expectations had for him by people were mismatched uh, leads to a lot of the conflict that surrounds him. I want to tell you a story about Jesus' life, not his life as an infant, but his life when he is much older. I want to tell you one story about that so that you can see how this conflict emerges, but also how Jesus sets new priorities for us. So you may remember that Jesus, uh, after his baptism, went about preaching and teaching and, and healing. A huge part of his ministry was healing. People were coming to him who were sick, who were lame, who were afflicted by demonic forces, and he was healing them. And I want you to see Jesus, because at a certain point in his ministry, he was in a house. Can you see the house? Jesus is in the center of the house. And the house was packed full, standing room only, in every corner, in every possible niche. There was a person, because they wanted to get as close to Jesus as they could. In fact, they had brought with them those in their family who were sick and hurting and lame and in need. And yes, he was healing them. And it wasn't just the room only. People were looking in the windows. People had surrounded the house. People were packed in tightly, so tightly, in fact, that when four friends brought their friend, they couldn't find the way to the door. Do you remember this story now? They couldn't get to the door, but they did find a ladder. And they climbed up the ladder, hoisting their friend whom they carried. This man paralyzed, relegated to a stretcher. They carried him up onto the roof. They got him up there, and they were so eager to get to Jesus, they destroyed the house. They dug a hole in the roof. They opened up a space and lowered their friend down, down, down until he lay at the feet of Jesus, the healer. Man, his muscles are atrophied. He's twisted. He's bent. All he can do is look up. That describes a lot of us sometimes, I think. Look up. They lo he looks up. Do you remember what Jesus said to him after this dramatic entry? <clears throat> he probably had, like, dust in his hair and stuff, you know. <laughs> you remember what he said? He said, your sins are forgiven you. At which point you have to think that the man and his friends and maybe everyone else paused. It's not what they were expecting. It wasn't the priority that they had said. It wasn't the dream that they had. In fact, when, they, when the religious leaders who were also in that house heard Jesus, they said, he's blaspheming. They were in an uproar about this. Who can forgive sins? 
God alone. Emmanuel, God with us. Eventually, this conflict would continue to fester and to grow until eventually they, they put him on a cross and killed him for blasphemy. That was the charge. And Jesus said, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, rise and walk. And the man did. Do you see how Jesus sets a priority for us? And even in his own mission to the world, it's Advent. We're trying to get ready. We're trying to prepare. We're trying to attend to the things we need to attend to. Jesus says, I come to forgive you of your sins. Now, we like the paralytic. We like Joseph have dreams and hopes and things that we're attending to and things that we want God to do for us. We have a long list of urgent needs, and many of them are so good. We want to get enough cards in the mail to the people we love. We want to have opportunities to gather with friends and family as we go through the holidays. We want to get the house decorated. We hope to have a present under the tree and maybe a a package wrapped. We want to make sure that we we come to church on time, and we, we hope that we hope that we can go caroling together. (laughs) (laughs) We have lots of things that we want to do. We have lots of dreams for our lives. We have lots of hopes. Maybe some of them will look like Joseph. We're afraid of loneliness and we just want to be with. And Jesus comes to us, God with us, and says, my name is, is God forgives. God saves because I have come to forgive you of your sins. So let's not, let's not rush into all the dreams that we have and hold so tightly to them that we don't have hands open enough to receive the dreams that God has to give for us. Reconciliation with himself, with one another, forgiveness, healing, He shows the paralyzed man that without the healing that comes from your heart, forgiveness and reconciliation with God, you aren't truly ever really healed. And yes, we can look to Joseph as an example of how we can do better and how we can dig into the word and how we can give all of ourselves. That's really important. But Joseph doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. You can't save yourself or save Christmas or provide the exact experience for your kids that you would hope to have or lean into the nostalgia. Or Jesus is the one who can save you. And it is no dream because Jesus has come and he has lived and he has died and he has risen again and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he has given the Spirit, and he gathers us as the church, and he promises to come again and to restore all things. It is no dream. It is God's reality. And Jesus is, is our door, the gate by which we, his sheep, enter in. It's the last Sunday in Advent. Let's remember the priority that Jesus has for us and for you. Let's seek his forgiveness and share in his life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.